Welcome to the Premium Sermon Podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's PC Thursday, which means buckle up. You're about to hear a message from our church's leader, Pastor Joe Campbell from Chandler, Arizona. Pastor Campbell's ministry has convicted and inspired thousands of disciples during the 40-year span of his preaching ministry. And his preaching never disappoints. Thanks for supporting World Evangelism with your premium subscription and enjoy today's sermon. Old converts, uh, visitors, uh, uh, thank God for you today. If you have your Bible uh, this morning, Acts 17 and then 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, uh, I want to, um, I don't always do this, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, uh, but I want to um, um, preach my conference sermon at this point anyway to you this morning. Uh, the setting will be a little different. There will be hundreds and hundreds of pastors, their wives and disciples and their wives. Uh, uh, but I pray uh, that God would move this morning. We could get something out of this. Uh, uh, we desperately need God to move in the earth. Amen. Lee Kuan Yew, he was like the George Washington, the grandfather of Singapore. And when we were in Malaysia, I read a number of books about this man. Uh, Singapore, when he became their first president, was a rat-infested, crime-infested island. It was filled with malaria. It was filled with bogs and, and sewage. And what he did is under his leadership, it advanced both economically as one of the most successful nations in all of Asia. It is probably the cleanest nation in the world. Some of you have been through Singapore. This happened since 1956. But in 1993, there was a speech recorded of Mr. Lee Kuan Yew. It was in a book called Dare to Fail. And this man has years had rolled by. He's lamentating and weeping over the future of his nation. In that speech, he compared Singaporeans with the Hong Kong Chinese, the Koreans, and the Taiwanese. I want to read a statement that he makes. Every Hong Konger believes that he can become a millionaire. There is that spirit of adventure, that willingness to take risks, to lose everything, and to try again that makes them so different and so successful. On the other hand, we Singaporeans prefer secure careers and are homebound. They are not willing to give up the security of Singapore for more gain abroad when they think the risks are too high or when it contains too much discomfort. We have become a nation of managers, he said, rather than entrepreneurs. Something is missing, he said, now from our society, a sense of adventure and a willingness to risk. He said a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. I would like to say that those who only want to succeed 
and are not prepared again to fail have already reached the limits of their success. Have we become victims of our own success? I want to read a couple of verses. One is the the conference uh, theme, Acts 17, verse number 6. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world, or one translation, these revolutionaries of the world, they have turned the world upside down and have come here too. I'd like to read one other verse uh, out of David's life, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Father, we come this morning by the blood of Jesus Christ God, we cry out for this nation and those of this generation. God, that you would move in power. I pray for this congregation. God, those represented today, you raise us up, God, in this last days. Explode in our heart, God. Let us not lose that passion of risk and adventure. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Victims of our own. Success. I'd like to examine with you spiritual revolution. I touched a little bit of this in our New Year's Eve service, if you'd kind of bear with me. See, I believe tonight that nations are crying out. This is as old as time. This is true of governments. This is true of societies. You cannot travel the world without seeing the need, whether it's the AIDS of Africa the curse of India, whether it's earthquakes, famines, floods, poverty, corruption, abuse, whatever it is, begging children, knocking on your windshield as you go through traffic in third world countries, the cry goes up. There's huge organizations that are dedicated to trying to meet the material need. And the cry is many times, change our conditions. Change our affairs. We're oppressed. We're beaten down. We're violated. And so the U.S. alone has spent God only knows how many billions upon billions trying to alleviate the pain around the world. And no doubt there's been some good come out of that. But much of it... uh, has been turned in corruption. I just read just an article. I have an article in my office. I just cut out of the paper the last couple of days, uh, Zimbabwe, where they're using food to control people's lives, food that's sent in from the U.S., uh, and, and meal and grain, and they're using it to supply their army, and it goes on and on. But you have to ask yourself this morning, why is that? Why is that with mountains of money And yet when you view the the landscape of the nations of the earth, you see little change for the good and the better. I believe the answer is found in our text uh, this morning. 
And that word is an interesting word. It says these, these, these that have revolutionized, they have turned the world upside down. Now they have come to our city. What are the these? These are men and women. These are men, they're more than male. These are men with a certain heart that God has touched and that heart beats in such a powerful way that it influences and has the ability to take society bound in sin, a society, men and women, whose lives are torn and disarray, deceived by false religion, bound under curse and devour, tormented by their own addictions. The heartbeat of these was so powerful that society looked at them and recorded they were revolutionary. They had the ability to turn the course of cities and nations. See, I want to tell you, great methods without great men, is doomed to fail. Mountains of money will never replace mountain-moving men and women of faith. This is true in the secular. It's also true in the spiritual. We can have great methods, and I, I believe in discipleship. These flags represent couples in various parts of the world. Some are here today. I believe that is a revelation from the throne of God. But I can say this morning, it's possible to have a method and that method be right, but if you do not have men and women to fulfill that method in the earth, we failed. Let's look at Egypt for a moment. Exodus 2.23. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. They cried out. Their cry came up to God because of the bondage. God heard their groaning God remembered his covenant, Exodus 3, 7. The Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them. But the question, how did God come down to deliver them? He sees he hears, he's moved by their sorrow, their oppression. He sees the wickedness, the violation. He's so moved by their cry that comes up into heaven and God says, I have come down. But how did he come down? He came down through Moses. He came down and we understand the presence of God was there. But he said, you know what? I'm going to deliver you. But he sent a man... His name was Moses as an instrument of that deliverance. Can God send you? See, there's no question. I, I ministered on this about Paul, New Year's Eve. There's no question that God hears the cry of humanity, but do you and I? There's no question God wants to come down, but can he find a man and a woman through whom he can come in? The burning bush, Exodus 3.19. Now therefore, behold... Uh, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed themselves. Come now therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Can you hear that today? 
Can you hear the oppression cry of this city or Chicago or Mexico City, New Delhi, India? So who are these that we're talking about? These revolutionists that triggered this uproar in Acts 17. Actually, they begin in 16 um, with a man called Paul. um, And I'm going to kind of jump here because uh, I ministered that. The Macedonian call, uh, he heard this cry of God. God moved upon his heart. He crossed over. And as he crossed over, he gathered these men and women and a rebel. Every city they go to, they're turning it upside down. You see, in crisis times, there's always a cry for leaders. History records many of these. They're common factors, different personalities, but common qualities. Lee Kuan Yew, he said, something is missing today. It was in 1993. He said, a sense of adventure and a willingness to risk. Think for a moment about Alexander the Great. You know, few people in history earned the title great. Let me read a little excerpt from his life. Alexander realized that his men, they would accept his discipline as their leader only when they saw discipline in his personal life. To strengthen his precepts by example, he applied himself, uh, embracing all opportunities of hardship and danger. He exposed his person to danger over and over again, inciting others to the performance of brave and virtuous action. When Alexander's father was killed at the age of 20, he launched his world's conquest, the most daring enterprise in the history of kings. Quelling outbreaks in Greece, he crossed to Hillespont with his 30,000 footmen and 5,000 cavalrymen, loyal Macedonian soldiers. He marched through Turkey, conquering 600,000 troops. From there, he went to Palestine, to Egypt. He went on and on, marched back through taking control of Persia, In the many battles, Alexander led more by inspiration and bravery than by strategy. He led his troops by the brilliance of his imagination, the fire of his oratory, and the readiness and sincerity with which he shared their hardships and their griefs. At age 30, he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. Now think about this for a moment. Here's a man, I understand it's in the secular and the natural, but it says embracing all opportunities of hardship and danger. One report says his men were attempting to take this city. They'd stall, they'd fail time, and they were pouring hot oil and and dumping rocks and stones over the wall. And the men were wavering time and again, and he grabbed a ladder, and he rushed the wall, threw himself over the wall, knowing that his men would follow, and they followed him into victory. You see, every generation, every every crisis, and I believe our nation and the world's in crisis this morning, cries out for a leader. We could talk about George Patton, World War II D-Day. 
June 5, 1944, he's addressing his troops before. He knows, every general knows, the sad thing about war is men must die. He says, you are here today for three reasons. First, because you are here to defend your homes and loved ones. Second, you are here for your own self-respect because you would not want to be anywhere else. Third, you are here because you are real men and real men like to fight. And you hear every one of you. When you were kids, you admired champion marble players, the fastest runner, the toughest boxer, the big league ball players, all American football players. Americans will not tolerate a loser. Americans despise cowards. Americans play to win. I don't, I wouldn't give a hoot, he says, in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans will not lose a war for the very idea is hateful to us. He declared to his men, death must not be feared. Death in time comes to all men. Everyone facing battle felt fear, but fear must be stared down. It goes on to say his young men willingly followed him into battle, inspired by his daring example. He told over and over, he said, men on the move do not need foxholes. He said, we have one strategy to advance, to advance, keep on advancing, regardless of whether we have to go over, under, or through the enemy. Here's a man that was very instrumental in the winning of World War II. And again, we see this dynamic in the secular, this adventurous, this willingness to risk, um, this understanding um, uh, that, you see, this is the kingdom of God. And the Bible says there's an enemy. Uh, the Bible says in Revelation uh, uh, that he's furious because he knows his time is limited. Uh, he is the enemy of God. He has set up his reign. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy. You and I are God's army. Uh, we are the church of Jesus Christ. We are called to advance. We are called to conquer. We are called to go forth. And we, to do that, there must be this quality of adventure and willingness to risk. Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of England, World War II. All his life he suffered intense criticism, opposition, and rejection. But most everyone respected him for one thing. He usually sought to do what was right for his country. He lived in accord with his own words. He said, what is the use of living? if it be not to strive for noble causes and to make this muddled world a better place to live in after we have gone. His first address to the nation as he became prime minister in World War II, he says, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Now this London was being bombed incessantly every night. Acknowledging the challenges they faced uh, the prospectives of desperate conflict, he continued. You ask, what is our policy? I will say it is to wage war. War by sea, land, and air with all of our might, with all of our strength. God can give us to wage war against a monstrous training. Never suppressed in the, never surpassed in the dark catalog of human crime. He says, arm yourselves and be you men of valor. Be in readiness for the conflict. 
It is better for us to perish in battle than to look upon the outrage of our nation as the will of God is in heaven, so be it. His bulldog mannerism, his defiance of danger, walking without a helmet, his wife Clementine on his arm through the streets of London while bombs were bursting all around him. He gave courage to a nation that was being bombed nightly, gave hope of victory when it looked like Hitler would for sure conquer all of Europe and perhaps the world. Here's a man that he made a powerful statement. He says, is life worth living without a noble cause? Is life worth living without a noble cause? A cause to leave this muddled world a better place when you and I pass on. And again, there was that common factor, the willingness to risk and adventure. One of the recent Americans that he's had more streets, avenues, and bridges named after him than any recent American in our history. His name was Martin Luther King Jr., more than 500. August of 1963, Washington, D.C., 100,000 came for the civil rights rally. And he said that, that famous speech, I have a dream that people would be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Those words riveted this nation. But I want to tell you, dreams are not without personal price. He was beaten, jailed, dog-bitten, hated. April 3rd, 1968, Memphis, Tennessee. He says, God has allowed me to go up the mountain. I've looked and I've seen the promised land. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. The next day, he was shot standing on a motel balcony. But you know what's interesting? That bullet could not silence that voice. There's probably not an adult here that you can't hear that voice riveting. I have a dream. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference 
So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. But it's not without personal price. You and I can talk about the dream of our fellowship, but probably every, uh, no doubt, every nation on earth, every race of people here this morning, you have your own history, whether it's Mexico or, or Africa or Malaysia or India, wherever it might be, Holland, you have your own history and you have your own heroes. But there's a common factor in all of these. There was that willingness to risk, that heart that beat with adventure, the understanding it's one thing to have a noble cause, but it's another to be willing to lay down your life for it. And that's what Jesus Christ did. But you know the Bible also has its record and its history. I'd like to examine with you for a moment perhaps Israel's greatest king, no doubt. His name was David. He breaks upon the scene of Bible history. Very interesting. He's a young boy. We know he's been anointed, but all of this happened privately. He comes up to the battlefield. Here is Goliath, this massive Philistine. He is mocking the people of God. He has the people of God terrified. It says, when Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Now here is a race of people. They're intimidated. They're terrified. Uh, they have lost all courage. Uh, they're disheartened. And one man steps on the scene. He's but a lad, but he has a different heart. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now think of that. Here's a young man. His heart beats to a different drummer. He's, while all are in fear and trembling, while all are after their own security, while none are willing to risk their lives or put their life on the line, he said, fear not, I will go and I will fight. This is the difference. Speaks of courage speaks of faith to personally go, put your life on the line, step into the heat of battle, go into regions beyond, the Apostle Paul said, where the biggest and the baddest of the demonic implant themselves. I wonder if God can find a man or a woman here this morning. I'd be willing to do that. See, it wasn't just blind courage. David also said, is there not a cause? In other words, he said, there's a purpose to my courage. There's a principle. There's a vision that's beating in my heart. Isn't there something that's grander and beyond my own life that is worth risking my very life for? I ask you this morning, is there not a cause? Our nation is being raped right before our very eyes. The universities, schools, media, courts, they're ripping the very face of God from our society on every hand. 
Does that burden you? Does that stir up righteous passion? Would you link your heart with Jesus when he saw his generation being horribly violated and he said those words? He said, the zeal of thine house, God, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. It has consumed me, this cause, this purpose uh, that is grander and glorier, much more glorious than what I am experiencing. It's consumed me. You see, this spirit attracts the heart of men. When they know you or I will risk all for the cause of Jesus Christ and for them. David faces Goliath. You know that story? He runs out, slays the giant. But I want you to look at what's happening around him. The Bible says about Jonathan, the soul of Jonathan was knit to Saul or to the soul, pardon me, of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. See, this kind of heart is contagious because it gives hope to the anguish, to the oppressed, to the rejected, to those who have failed. In fact, it goes on about David very shortly, a couple of chapters later. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became a captain over them and there were about 400 men. You see, the heart that will totally abandon itself to the cause of Christ is electrifying. It's magnetic. It's contagious. If God can find that kind of heart, that heart that will totally abandon itself to the cause of Christ, it's contagious. It will gather the hearts of men and women. They're attracted to this. It's magnetic. And I want to tell you, our church should be filled and must be filled with this spirit. This is true. If you you have 30 people in your church, it's attractive. It's dynamic. Over the years, this has been the heartbeat of this congregation when it was just a small struggling work and through the different battles of life, the thing that has carried us is a heartbeat in this congregation that says, you know what? I'm willing to lay aside my own pleasures and my own plans and my own agenda. I'm willing to lay that aside for a greater cause. The cause of Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It stirs men and women to greatness. It stirred these men, these 400 discontent, distressed, in debt. It stirred them to become mighty men of valor. Eleazar, this one of David's men, he fought in battle so long that his sword was welded to his hand. He is hand locked. Shammah, when everyone fled, the Bible says he alone defended a piece of ground that was full of lentils, their supplies. And the account is given of David's men, three other young men. 
And we see insight into the heart of a leader. It's one of the interesting stories of the Bible. You see, when a man is leading, when a congregation is leading, when a fellowship is leading, its greatest asset is its people. Jesus. It was 120 that ended in the upper room. That's what it was all about. It was people. He was greatest among you, his servant of all. Their loyalty, their willingness to risk at a word is sacred. That's why Paul writes to Timothy, commit these to faithful men. It's interesting about the life of David. One day, they're in battle, they're weary, and he longs for a drink of water from a well beside the gate in Bethlehem. This is where he grew up. He has this longing. He's just thinking out loud. And it says three of his men, they heard him. They were so devoted, so dedicated, so loyal. Three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem beside the gate. And they took and brought it back to David. They risked their lives, fought through the enemy's ranks, simply at his word. Now, now get a, this be like me this morning. I'm from Creel Springs, Illinois. Mega metropolis, about 800 people. But there's a park there that has these springs in it. Springs were there when I, at one time there was a big 500 room hotel there. They had pictures of it. People came from all over for these, this water. No more. But I've drinking from those wells I've, and, and the water's deep. It's cool. It's, it'd be like me. I just, I'm standing around and, 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 you know, say, here's Hector and Eddie and some of the guys, maybe John, who we're all just kind of hanging out. I says, man, I'd like to have a drink. Whew. Creel Springs. They jump in an automobile, drive 27 hours nonstop, no sleep, grab it, drive 27 hours back and hand it to me. That's the picture here, only more dramatic. What does he do? It's interesting what he does. The Bible says he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. What he was saying was, this was a sacred thing. This was so holy that it could only be poured out as an offering to the Lord. He said, this is the blood of men who jeopardized their lives at a word from me. You know, many times it's overwhelming to me that I can preach in a conference and mention cities and nations and men with their wives on their arm will come to me after a word, a sermon, and come and say, Pastor Campbell, We'll go. We'll lay aside our plans. We'll move out of our comfortable home many times. We'll, we'll turn away from a career. We, just at a word, that is sacred, beloved. That's holy trust. That's divine. And it's revolutionary turning. And what David was saying, it's a violation for me to indulge my flesh on what men have risked their lives for. 
I'm going to tell you it's a violation to you and I. It's a violation if this congregation, if we would ever begin to indulge our flesh on what men and women have risked their lives for, where these flags just become decoration. That's what happened to a lot of the church world. What men died for, what men sacrificed for, what men and women laid down their life for, today is simply just a token to their flesh. It's a place to fellowship, a place to have a few sports activities. There's nothing more valuable than these, these, these that have turned the world upside down. I want to close with a quick thought. If we're not careful, we become victims of our own success. Now, these terms seem contradictory. How can success make me a victim? Success makes me a winner. Success means I've arrived. But think about David at the height of his success as a king, as a general, as a leader. At the height of his success, there's a shifting of his heart. One simple statement. It was a time when kings go forth to battle, but David remained at Jerusalem. You know what's happened? He's going to manage the battle from the comfort of his home. He no longer sees the possibilities of God. He's lost heart and vision for the battle. This is what Lee Kuan Yew said. He says, no longer willing to give up the security of Singapore for more gain abroad. The risk is too high. And it contains too much discomfort. Here's an old man weeping as he sees the course of his nation and what brought it to greatness. Their own success now has become their enemy. That's possible of a nation. It's possible of a fellowship. It's possible of a church. It's possible of a ministry. It's possible of you. In the early days, David had no choice. He was living in a cave and running for his life like you and I. But see, now there's a deception. And the deception is David stays in Jerusalem. He goes to bed one night. If you would have interviewed David and said, David, are you still the man you used to be? He said, what an insane question. I'm still king. I still have title. I still have position. How dare you ask me if I'm the man I used to be? What about you this morning? Are you the man you used to be? Are you the woman of God you used to be? You see, the great deception is you can begin to manage what God has done in your life and don't even know it. Something deadly has laid hold of David's heart and he has no clue. The comforts of Jerusalem are now more appealing than the battle of the Lord. The spoils of past victory have become more satisfying than the future gain, Lee Kuan Yew says, of overseas. John says, love not the world nor the things that are in the world because the love of the Father can no longer remain in you.
think of this, David's day. The ark of God, all of Israel and Judah, their dwelling in tents, camped out on the battlefields, and David is at home in comfort. You know what the mark of a manager is? What was once David's greatest asset is now expendable. What was once sacred can now be sacrificed on his own pleasure, his worldly lust. Let's think about Uriah for a moment. Here's Bathsheba. You know the story of Bathsheba. I'm not even addressing that. Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. David, that night he went out on the balcony, saw this beautiful woman, called her, had a sexual relationship with another man's wife. She's pregnant. He calls Uriah from the field. Uriah is one of his trusted warriors. Think of this. Think of the quality of this man. He's honorable. He's loyal. He's courageous. He's dedicated. Think of this. He brings him in. He wants him to sleep with his wife to cover his own pleasure and sin. Uriah says... How can I, the men of God, the armies of Israel, the ark of God, they're all intense, they're all on the battlefield. How shall I go into my own house tonight? As your soul lives, as my soul lives, I will not do this thing. Here's a man of convictions. Here's a man of standards. David gets him drunk. He calls him in, gets him drunk. He still won't do this. So David writes Uriah's death subscription, puts it in a letter and hands it to Uriah. He's carrying his own death warrant. He said, take this to Joab. He gives it to Joab. What the letter says is put Uriah in the heat of the battle, withdraw from him and let the enemy assassinate him. Here's a man. David knows this man is of such character he will not read that which is not written to him. He also knows this man's heart is so filled with courage that he can put him in the heat of the battle. Everyone else retreats. This man will not. They put him in the heat of the battle, retreated from him. His life was taken by the enemy. But I want you to watch. Here's David. How different. Now anyone who interferes with your pleasure, anyone who convicts or confronts you, anyone who challenges the lowering of your standards, they can be sacrificed on the altar of your own pleasure and your own pursuits. How do you view people that convict you about what you once were? That's how you can tell when there's been a shift in the human heart. David at one time, he wouldn't even drink a sip of water because it was sacred. These men had jeopardized their lives to bring it to him. Now, he's going to program the death. I wonder if Uriah reminded David of what he used to be. 
This is what people do in the church world. When someone reminds them of what they used to be, they assassinate them. Sometimes it's verbally. Sometimes it's by gossip. It's, it's a number of ways they do it. Years ago, this congregation began to divert off. I was in Malaysia, and there were some men in this congregation rose up and said, we, we, we got convictions. We got standards. We don't believe. So what he did, he launched them off to die. Chuck Baker left with a jug of uh, pennies and coins, had to stop in, I believe it was, borrow some money in Dallas off of one of the other brothers to make it on. That's when you can tell you're no longer leading what God's done in your life, but the spoils of your past victory, the spoils of any past success uh, is now more comforting to you and precious to you than the willingness to risk for the future. What about you this morning? Are you still the man you used to be? Are you still the woman of God you used to be? It's interesting to me that from this point what David begins to produce in life. He has sons but no longer does he have soldiers. You think about David's life now. You think about what he begins to produce. We could talk about disciples right here. In the early days these men of discontent, debt, distress, the offscar of society so to speak gathered to him, and because of his heart, he made them some of the mightiest men of valor in all of history, both secular and biblical. But now, he produces Absalom. Absalom, a betrayer, a rebel. Absalom who built a monument to himself because he had no sons. Solomon gifted, Absalom and Solomon both gifted. Absalom stole the hearts of the people. Solomon gifted, talented, wisest man perhaps that ever lived. Wealth un, un, beyond, beyond measure. And you read Solomon's life and it's a horrible Horrible disaster till you read the book of Lamentations and Ecclesiastes in different places. This man, he said, life is empty. Life is worthless. Life is vain. Uh, empty, empty, empty. And you read it and it's a discouraging book. What are you producing in your life, in your influence? Your children. What's this church producing what am I producing? Because all of us have influence and we will be held responsible for God for that influence. Are you still on the front line of battle? Are you still burdened for the battle? Like Paul at a, at a time when he was most successful Macedonian call, would you cross over to the other side? And he rearranged his whole life in one decision and crossed over to Europe. 
what the church world desperately needs, what we desperately need, what we must contend for, is men and women whose heart still beats and passion still burns for the cause of Jesus Christ. The cause of world evangelism, the cause of church planting, the cause of souls, the cause is people, precious lives, one life. What shall it profit a man gain the whole world and lose his soul? One soul in the eyes of God has more value than all the world. That's our cause. But it is not without price. Whether it be Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, the secular world, it is not without price. Don't lose that spirit of adventure. Don't lose that willingness to risk it all. Do not let the success of our past victories, the comfort of that, the spoils of that, steal your heart from what God would do. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.